Alaska's newsmakers. Action Line, K-I-N-Y. Welcome, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're talking with Dan Sullivan on K-I-N-Y. He's uh, over in the U.S. Uh, side of things, Washington, D.C. And uh, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Happy New Year. Can you hear me? Yes, uh, you're coming in uh, loud and clear, and um, we wanted to talk to you first about uh, your trip uh, to the Middle East. Yeah, well, I I just got back from um, uh, a bipartisan delegation trip with uh, seven U.S. senators, and we went to the Abraham Accords countries. Now, the Abraham Accords, I'm sure a number of listeners know, these were the big... uh, um, uh, initiation uh, uh, event that we had towards the end of the Trump administration that initiated and normalized relations with Israel, uh, the countries of the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, Bahrain, and to a certain degree Sudan. And as you probably know, Ken, this is this was huge news. Because prior to that, you just had Egypt and Jordan that had normalized relations with Israel. So the fact that this happened at the end of the Trump administration, strong bipartisan support for this big initiative that is bringing peace in the Middle East, which is something that a number of people um, did not think you would see, really, ever. So we were there to encourage uh, more cooperation between these countries and Israel, and then look for ways to expand the Abraham Accords to other countries, which again, I think is something that many, many, not just in the region, but senators on both sides of the aisle think is a very good idea for the security of the region, for the security of the United States, for the security of our democratic ally uh, Israel in the Middle East. And I would tell you this, couple big takeaways. Of course, we visited our troops uh, there, met with some Alaskans, which is always uh, really impressive. This was in particular in Bahrain, where we have a very important Navy base uh, in Bahrain. And then also in the UAE, where we have a, uh, with the Emiratis, uh, important Air, Air Force base. So great to see our troops doing incredible work. Uh, the other thing is, the issue of Iran's malign influence is literally everywhere. Every single country, every single leader led with this huge challenge of Iran and its proxies uh, causing terrorism, trying to undermine regimes, trying to undermine peace with Israel. A huge problem that we need, all need to be focused on. And then the final one, just an observation that I saw is, you know, the issue of energy is huge out there, both in terms of the energy these countries get, but what they export. And it does frustrate me. I just came out of a meeting with several Biden administration officials from the Department of Interior, where we have our own federal government, the Biden administration, trying to shut down the production of American energy. I met with our national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, who was also in the region when we were there and said, you know, Jake, there's no universe, um, no, no, no place that you can imagine anywhere in the universe that undermining and limiting the production of American energy helps us. It does, it, 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 or what you guys are doing, it hurts us, right? I mean, so 
Um, it hurts us in terms of our jobs. It hurts us in terms of our national security. And I think certain members of the Biden administration agree with that, but um, others don't. So it's a little frustrating to see how our energy policy at home is actually undermining our national security overseas, particularly in places like the Middle East. In the Middle East, uh, did you have any chance to address our, you know, how things feel with uh, Saudi Arabia? Did you? I know they weren't on on the list of countries. Did they? Did, did our situation with them come up at all? It sure did. And I will tell you what was interesting, particularly our meetings in Israel. We met with the Prime Minister and the Defense Minister and the Foreign Minister, a number of the senior leadership, um, the um, certain senior members of the parliament there, the Knesset, um, they see the potential for the next Abraham Accords country to be Saudi Arabia. Now, this would be groundbreaking to have Saudi Arabia and Israel normalize their relationship, finally have peace between one of the most important um, Arab countries in the whole Middle East and Israel. And so I was surprised by the extent to which the leadership in the region was actually bullish on this issue of U.S., I'm sorry, Israeli-Saudi peace as a potential. So um, uh, that was surprising to me, and I think if you saw something like that happen, uh, that that could spur pretty much all the other Arab nations in the region to normalize relations with Israel, and, and you literally would solve the Arab-Israeli, you know, peace process and wars that have been plaguing the Middle East since the founding of the State of Israel in 1948. So big news on that, and I think the U.S. can play an important constructive role in that regard. Switching gears, let's talk about something related to China and Asia, TikTok. It's been on your Press releases a lot. You're looking for hearings on TikTok, essentially uh, banning uh, TikTok from state office, uh, state devices, uh, state workers, federal workers, I would think, too, and not using TikTok because of the ability to spy on us through TikTok or gather personal data. Uh, Maybe you could get us up to speed on where you're at with that. Yeah, Ken, this is a really big issue. You may have seen at the end of the year the uh, final passage of this big omnibus bill that uh, uh, there were some good things in there, but I ended up not voting for it for a whole host of reasons, one of which, you know, I I think we should talk about icebreakers in Juno. But one of the provisions in there would ban TikTok from being used on federal government employee devices, cell phones, and other things. And I think that's an important step in the right direction. The challenge that is being posed by TikTok is being raised by everybody. This is from the FBI director, Chris Ray about national security concerns, the chairman of the Senate Intel Committee, Mark Warner, who's a Democrat. Uh, the Trump administration had raised these issues. The CIA director Bill Burns under President Biden right now recently voiced concern. The FCC commissioners, Federal Communications Commission. So you have an enormous bipartisan group of legislators, senior executive branch officials, security officials in America saying, 
we need to look at this really, really carefully for the reasons you just mentioned. The ability of the Chinese to collect data on people who use TikTok, particularly our youth, and not only collect data on them, but to influence them in the way they're using the uh, application, which, as you know, has millions and millions of people um, involved with it. So what I've done, which I think is a pretty uh, important step on the Commerce Committee, to say, hey, we need to have hearings on this. Let us do a deep dive, get witnesses on both sides of the aisle, get witnesses and experts to say, what are the risks? What are the risks to Americans? What are the risks to American youth? How much control of this data does the Chinese Communist Party ultimately have access to? Which I think the conventionalism is they have access to all of it. And then what next steps do we need to take? And, um, you know, I applaud the governor and our state for banning the application on state um, devices. And we've just done the same federally. But what more do we need to do to um, make Americans informed that one of our big adversaries, the Chinese Communist Party, has a lot of control over this? And, again, it's not some kind of pie-in-the-sky issue that's being raised all the people i just mentioned between the cia director fbi director uh senators on both sides of the aisle are raising alarm bells here my view is we should have good detailed oversight hearings with some of the top experts and really get to the bottom of what the challenges are seems to me it'd be just a simple advisory to all people using federal phones that are, I mean, I would think like your staff, for example, have their own phones that are separate from their personal phones for business use, and I would just think it's common sense not to use those phones for social media purposes. Yeah, I think you're right, for social media purposes, but also um, that's at the state level, but I think it's also important to look at, all right, if this is such an important and um, widely used device for, say, American youth, are there risks there that we need to be aware of, even beyond, say, government use at the state level or federal level? And, um, you know, the ability to manipulate um, algorithms to influence uh, young Americans, I think, is something we need to look at. So these are all the issues that I think are worthy of a hearing. And that's why I've called for it, and I'm hoping that we have a hearing soon on this in the Commerce Committee as well as other committees of jurisdiction in the U.S. Senate. Yeah, it's interesting because in China they don't allow Facebook, not because they're worried Facebook's going to gather data, but because they don't want the influence of the free media flow that takes place on Facebook that they can't control so it's been 100 right this, this <laughs> is one of these things that i talk a lot about you know there's non-reciprocity right they their their devices are very ubiquitous in the u.s but um having something similar in china that could undermine the authoritarian grip that xi jinping and the other members of the chinese communist party have on chinese populations they don't allow any of that and i think um you know, we got to wake up to this, what I refer to as this new era of authoritarian aggression led by Xi Jinping and China and Putin and in Russia. 
and understanding technology, how it benefits us, but the risks of it is also uh, something that I think is really important and certainly worthy of a hearing and further action in the Congress if it's warranted. Very good. Let's move on to a local issue that you brought up. The icebreaker, home porting in Juneau. You're getting involved in that as well. Oh, boy, I've been involved in this for a long, long time. And, you know, we've been... We've made some really important good strides. Um, we've been raising, I've been raising Senator Murkowski, uh, Congressman Young, until his untimely passing, now Congresswoman Peltola, the issue of the Arctic and just how important uh, Alaska is to our Arctic national security, economic security. Um, that is finally starting to be realized throughout the federal government. That's positive. We've been building icebreakers now finally we've had six authorized to build but what i thought was really important is because we need icebreakers now to protect our interests economic national security in the arctic as we're waiting for new icebreakers to be built we worked with the trump administration and the biden administration to actually um, look at purchasing an icebreaker in the interim period in um uh, during the time in which we're waiting for these new icebreakers to be built. We have two heavy icebreakers now, and one is broken, right? So we, we literally have one. Russia has 54, and they're building more. Some of those are nuclear-powered. Many of them are weaponized. So we have two. One is broken. So we work with the Trump administration, and then the Biden administration picked up the mantle in a, in a good way to say, all right, well, we're going to buy one as we wait to build them. So we got that going, and then um, I worked very closely with the leadership of the Coast Guard saying, hey, that new that one that you purchased, that needs to be placed in America's Arctic. That needs to be home ported in Alaska. Where else would you put an icebreaker for America? And... Um, so the Coast Guard, uh, at my behest, and we pushed this very hard over the last several years, did a very big study on where they would home port this new icebreaker. Uh, they looked at a number of different places, and they came out with a study, and I've done some press uh, back, you know, back home on this, um, that they thought the best place to home port it would be Juneau. That's great news for Juneau. That's great news for Alaska. my view, that's great news for America. So what we did, Senator Murkowski and I, we worked hard to make sure that purchase that icebreaker was in President Biden's budget, to make sure that was in the authorizing bill for the Coast Guard, in the Coast Guard Authorization Act, which is a bill that uh, my team and I worked hard on on writing. We got that language in there for the purchase of this icebreaker. Senator Murkowski got it in the appropriations bill uh, that she was working on. So we had this teed up really well, and then when we did this giant um, $1.7 trillion omnibus, which goes into kind of an opaque, an opaque process, you get three days, 72 hours, if that, to read a 4,000-page bill. And to be honest, um, at the last minute, uh, unbeknownst to us or Senator Murkowski or Congresswoman Peltola, that funding got yanked. Uh, we're still trying to figure out why. This is why, Ken, I'm totally against these giant bills. You know, you don't have time to read them. 
Um, the process is completely broken. And, you know, you can't go back home to Alaska and saying, oh, yeah, I voted for a bill that, um, you know, uh, I didn't have time to read. I, uh, that, that's not what I did. So I, you may have seen I voted against that, in part because at the end of the day, we're like, hey, where's the funding for our icebreaker? It's going to go to Juno. got stripped out. Still trying to figure out why. We're still now working really hard to make sure that this is included in this year's budget of the Biden administration um, like we got it in last year's budget uh, of the Biden administration. So um, we're, this issue is not at all dead. We're going to keep working it like we have been relentlessly. But to be honest, this was a little bit of a setback, and it was a frustration. I know I've heard from a lot of folks in Juneau who are excited about this. This, this is going to bring an enormous amount of new Coast Guard men and women, their families, a huge amount of infrastructure, in the Coast Guard bill, we already got land that was um, that can be utilized uh, for this home porting. Uh, that's already done deal. So we're going to keep working it, but I will tell you it was a little bit of a frustration, but uh, we'll keep working with the leadership of Juno, leadership of our state, to make sure that we purchase an icebreaker and we get it home ported in Alaska. Right now the Coast Guard thinks the best place to put it is Juneau, Alaska, so we're going to work hard to make sure that happens. Very good. Well, we're coming up to our first break here in the two-part interview here with the U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan joining me today on Action Line. When I come back, I hope we can talk a little bit about some high-profile national issues. We have a big debt problem, and there's a little issue of classified documents ending up in Biden's personal home over the last several years if not longer we'll talk a little bit more about that with u.s senator dan sullivan on action line action line continues k-i-n-y welcome back to action line speaking with u.s senator dan sullivan we have a few minutes left senator um, i know this is a big topic to try to cover in a few minutes but we have a national debt of 31 trillion dollars we've accumulated 25 trillion in the last 21 years or so, or what's the, the number here? But anyway, the big the big news is that we're collecting uh, less tax money than we have to pay back our bills, and that includes a fiscal year budget of six trillion coming up. So what do we do? Well, you know, Ken, um, it's not it's not a revenue problem for our federal government. By that I mean, if you look at over time. Um, even with uh, the uh, tax reform that we passed in 2017, um, it did what we had advertised, which was created more economic activity to bring in more revenue. So the federal government is actually bringing in record levels of revenue. That's the good news. So the problem is it's a spending issue, and um, it's both discretionary spending uh, and its entitlement uh, issues. But here's what needs to happen in the next couple of weeks. You know, the president has remarkably said he's not going to negotiate anything on raising the debt limit. Well, that is a, in my view, that's just a not, it's not a sustainable position to have. Every president, when they've come up on raising the debt limit, has worked with the Congress, both sides of the aisle, to say, all right, what are the reforms that we need to undertake 
to get a handle on this. And one of the things that I don't think enough Americans are aware of, as interest rates are going up because of the inflation that has been unleashed by the Biden administration's policies, the interest on the debt is going to become an increasingly large expenditure for our federal government. Think about that. That is just wasted. It's not wasted money, but it's money that goes to just paying the interest. That's going to be an increasingly large part of our um, federal government's expenditures. So in the immediate um, uh, few weeks, the president needs to come to the Congress and say, hey, here's what we will work with the Congress on, on spending restraint in order to get the debt limit raised. Now, nobody wants a default. Countries never defaulted on paying back our debt. We can't have that. But the president needs to back off from this position of saying, I won't negotiate with anybody, my way or the highway. Uh, That's not how you're going to make the appropriate reforms that can finally uh, get a handle on what you say, and I fully agree with, is a huge challenge for our country. All right, one last thing let's cover before we let you go here, because we don't get a chance to talk to you a lot. You're a busy guy over there in Washington, D.C. Well, we're going we're gonna to be back. We're going to be on the show a lot more, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have plenty of time. And you'll be in Juneau in, uh, in February, and you're coming in studio for that. Yes, sir. Well, let's last, last thing on my agenda here to talk to you about, uh, of course, the, the big news coming out. First, we had President Trump with classified material found in his home, and now we have President Biden, which they say he collected in his in his Senate years, his vice presidency, and his presidency. It's a story that keeps growing, just like the classified collection he has in his home. What's your position on this? Well, look, I think what you're seeing right now is just complete incompetence. And, you know, the president uh, was having a field day when he was talking about what was going on with the Trump administration's um, documents and classified documents, but now he's got to look in the mirror and pretty much every criticism he leveled at the Trump administration are coming back and hitting him. The White House, of course, is trying to say, oh, this is very different, but I don't think people are buying that. Their story seems to be changing literally by the day as more and more documents are being found everywhere from the garage, his Corvette garage, I guess, his home, um, some of which sound like they're really highly classified documents. I think the president, um, you know, in a press statement recently said something along the lines of, um, you know, he's proud of the way in which this has been handled or something along the the lines like that. Um, This clearly is incompetence, whether it's uh, criminal incompetence. I guess the special prosecutor is... um, going to take a look at. Uh, I do think having the Attorney General um, uh, have a special prosecutor on this one, it kind of left him with no option, given that he did that uh, with regard to the Trump documents as well. But um, look, my own view is we got a lot of work to do in this country uh, on a whole host of major challenges, and the fact that the White House now is completely um, uh, focused and spun up on this increasingly incompetent handling of 
documents is just not good for our country, and it's certainly make the, making the president and his White House look like they're changing their story on a daily, if not hourly, basis. To be continued, I'm sure. To be continued, for sure. Thank you, uh, U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan, our representative in Washington, D.C., joining us today on Action Line. We will talk again, sir. Okay, Ken. Th- uh, thanks very much for having me on. I look forward to seeing, seeing you in Juneau in a couple weeks. Very good. Action Line. Weekday mornings. Action Line. If it happens in Southeast, you'll hear it.